Good to see everyone uh, this morning. Please keep your Bibles open, and uh, we're going to be following that reading. Um, But let's pray, shall we, and ask uh, God to help us now. Father, we thank you that uh, you speak to us uh, words that show us what you are like and who you are, words that explain to us uh, the good news of Jesus, and words that give hope and life to all who believe. So, Father, as we now consider your words, help us to believe them and that our lives might continue to be transformed by them for our good and for Jesus' sake. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Monday's headline in the Age newspaper was this. Out of reach, it just got even harder to buy a home. As uh, we're aware, or most of us are aware, Australia is facing a housing crisis across the country. That the cost of housing is beyond now that the uh, millions of Australians. Not only that, because of affordability issues, but we're also short of hundreds of thousands of homes. Uh, we just don't have enough flats and apartments and units and houses. And, and of course, there are issues as well around our land and, and space that's available for building. And on top of all of that, there is a dire shortage of builders and tradesmen. If you are thinking of an industry or for a job uh, to to take on, uh, we need tradies. Uh, Like Jesus, be a carpenter. Good idea. Now, of course, the the home is the most expensive item that we purchase or could possibly purchase. And for a 100 years or more here in Australia, we were told this is the Australian dream, isn't it? This is the Australian dream. We scratch and save for years and years to put down a deposit for a home of our own. And for many Australians, even today, it is near the very top of life's priorities. It is, this is my goal. This is what I want. Now, having a place of belonging and security, a place to call home, it's not a 21st century concept, but it runs through different cultures and throughout time. In fact, it's a major theme in the Bible, from Genesis through to Revelation, finding a home, having a home. Now, in our Bible reading today, Hebrews 3, it begins with this phrase, we share a heavenly calling. So who's the the we here? We share, who are the we? Uh, We're told uh, it's holy brothers and sisters. Now, when Hebrews talks about holy brothers and sisters, let's not picture monks and nuns or men and women who are dressed in really conservative suits and dresses or very clean and proper and carrying big black Bibles or whatever you're imaging, holy brothers and sisters. The word holy means set apart. We are set apart or holy to God. And holy to God now because of Jesus and God has accepted Jesus' sacrifice for us. And because of Jesus, yes, we are holy, set apart from the world, set apart from sin, away from sin, and now we belong to God. But we are holy brothers and sisters. So because, as we were looking at last week, Jesus became like us. He shared our humanity so that we might become members of God's family. Holy brothers and sisters. So that's the we here. But what is this heavenly calling? It's a home. A home forever with our brother, the Lord Jesus, and God, our Father, and all of God's people. It's going to be a new world without uh, debt, 
where you don't have, you're not in debt anymore, where there are no more storms or, or break-ins or power outages or fences breaking down or any of those kinds of things. It is going to be a new home forever with God and his people. Now, I don't need to be up here and trying to explain the cost of living uh, to you all because I'm sure you understand it very well. We have to pay bills or the cost of saving up for a deposit so one day we can buy a bit of brick and mortar and a bit of dirt in one of the streets around here. It is an extraordinarily expensive task, isn't it? A couple of the guys were mowing the church property last week, and as you're familiar, we've got a car park, and there's a lot of grass. This is with the nature strip as well. Anyway, a couple of guys were, were mowing the church property last week when uh, someone, a stranger, was walking through um, the, the car park and helped himself to something that was in the church uh, garage. He, he helped himself to one of the tents that are stored for the youth group uh, that they use for camping, and then he went off with it. And one of the guys who was mowing... Uh, let's call him Bob. Uh, Bob uh, was fessing up to me uh, the day after and said, hey, Murray, you're not going to believe it. Someone stole one of the tents that we store in a garage in while we were, they were mowing. And I did say to Bob, uh, you should have encouraged a thief to take some of more of the junk that's sort of piling up in there. Why did so you got in trouble for not doing that? Anyway, uh, Bob explained, uh, they saw this dude leaving with a tent under his arm. And a chase ensued, uh, reminiscent of some of these great Hollywood car chase scenes, you're thinking. Uh, so Bob got in his car and drove down the street, uh, eventually caught up with the thief. And it was I can imagine it's a tense moment. Uh, uh, Bob uh, was wondering, do I tackle this guy now? Do I run him over? What's the next step? Uh, Anyway, as Bob explained to me uh, last week, there was a conversation. And it appears this guy was, is homeless and he was simply taking advantage of a free tent. So Bob dragged him back to the property, made him finish the mowing for us, and I made that little bit up. Uh, but the previous time Bob was mowing here, someone stole the mower. So I just, I, anyway, go figure. Whatever, anyway, this man's uh, circumstances that he, he decided to, to take uh, this tent for himself, it's really sad, isn't it? And if he's telling the truth, the fact that he doesn't have a home and he took advantage of taking a tent somewhere to give him a bit of shelter. It's really sad. Well, coming back to, to Hebrews now, this picture of a home that is going to be described for us, it, it's describing a home that we can never afford. It's home with God. We can never afford it because sin keeps us out. Our sin, the way we treat God and others, keeps us out of his home. In fact, we don't even want to live with God. We want to take it over, if anything, and, and use it and make a mess out of it. And yet we read here in this verse, opening verse, God has called us. What a wonderful thought. One of my pet hates is coming home and I, because I'm being lazy and I walk inside with my shoes, I normally take them off outside or in, in the, at the front door area. But being a bit lazy, I, I just keep them on and I walk through the house. And after the fact, I realize there's sand on the shoes or there's dirt. You know, and the more that I'm walking through the house, the more it's sort of spreading around and leaving this mess behind. Or you've stepped in something. Or I was actually I was thinking of our uh, poor Claude. Uh, that's our dog. A couple of weeks ago, he ate something that we now realize he shouldn't eat. And, and the poor dog, and we were out for the day, and he was sick, and it was just a wonderful place to go home to, especially all over the carpets. The poor thing, 
When you, when you find dirt on your house, it's kind of really annoying, isn't it? And it's difficult. It can take a long time to clean up. Friends, God is so utterly holy and good. Not one speck of dirt is fit for his house. And it's vital that it be that way. You think of how um, clean a surgical theatre needs to be in, in, in a hospital. And how you know, all there's this sterilizing going on before you can do, perform an operation. You can imagine you've got to keep everything clean, all of the equipment clean. Anyone who is going to enter into the surgical theater needs to be scrubbed down and cleaned up and gowned and gloved and all that. And it's necessary, isn't it, to keep it holy in a sense, to clean. God is so holy, sin has no place in his home. And that means we're all stuck outside because we all sin. We all carry sin with us. And Jesus, he's like standing at the door and he says, stop, you can't come in. I can see the dirt all over you. You can't come in. But then he stoops down and he takes off my shoes and he cleans my feet and and he removes all of the muck that I'm bringing. And then he stands again and he says, Now come inside. I've made you a home. I have a home for you. Come, brother. Come, sister. Friends, those who share in this heavenly calling, that's that's the picture here in mind. God has welcomed us into his home. And so those who share this calling, we're told here that we're urged to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Fix our thoughts on Jesus. On Jesus, in this present moment, each day, all the time, give our attention to Jesus. Let me read verse 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Uh, this is the only time in the Bible where Jesus is referred to as an apostle. Apostle uh, means uh, sent one. So Jesus is like the great apostle. He's been sent by God the Father. And he's also our high priest. Now, the high priest, he was set apart from all of the other priests in the Old Testament to to stand between God and the people. So the high priest's job was to represent the people to God. And one of his main duties as high priest was to enter once a year only that holy of holies in the the innermost sanctuary of of the temple, just once a year, and with the blood of a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. And so the, the high priest was acting as a go-between between God and the people. And here Hebrew says, Jesus is our high priest. He is our representative, our mediator. And Hebrews is going to explore this in a lot more detail in coming chapters. So that picture there here is, is of Jesus. He's standing for us in the presence of God. And so through him we can approach God. Through him we are welcomed. We are called by God into his home. And so the writer is saying, now fix our thoughts on him. Give our focus to Jesus. It's like the difference between when I'm wearing my glasses and when I'm not. Uh, when I'm not wearing my glasses, you're a blob, all right? You, you, I, can't, I can't make any, any detail. It's kind of, you all look like a bit of a, an impressionist painting. Like there's a smear across the room, a bit of color. But anyway, when I put my glasses back on, I can see clearly. So without them, I can't judge where I'm going. I can't see what I'm looking at. Yeah, but when I put them back on, the world looks so different, so clear. 
And so by focusing on Jesus, we, as that is trusting him, it changes the way we look at everything. It changes our, our view of God, the world, ourselves. We see things or begin to see things as God sees them. Friends, are we regularly, consistently, deliberately fixing our thoughts on Jesus? When we do this, it, it, it functions like a, a compass that keeps us walking straight and not wandering away, not being distracted. Uh, our eldest this week is going uh, out on an army exercise. Apparently it's navigation week. Uh, and uh, during navigation week, uh, and it's going to be like 40 plus degrees where there are in, in the bush out in New South Wales. So they're going to spend the week out bush. What they're going to do, they drive the, the unit out into the bush and just leave them there. Uh, and they, they're going to carry their full packs you know, with all their equipment. I think they'll, maybe they'll get like a map and a compass and that's about it. And the army's going to test them and see if they can find their way back to wherever they're meant to be going. And if they pass, doing it as a unit, then they get sent out one by one and go spend the night and the day out. We're going to just dump you somewhere and see if you can find your way back. So that's what he's going to be doing uh, this week. Fixing our thoughts on Jesus, knowing the map or the compass that's Jesus, it actually keeps us straight and directed toward home. And that takes discipline, doesn't it? It doesn't just happen. It takes discipline. I know we don't live in a culture that believes a lot in, in self-discipline. You know, Aussies, by nature, we want to be relaxed and laissez-faire about everything, just sort of see as it comes. But you know, we'll think about the professional athlete. They don't just get fit by just sort of sitting around and, and ready for the Olympic Games if they're lazy. No, they have to discipline themselves, their body, their routine, their diet, their sleep. If you're a professional musician, you're doing that too. You focus on the task ahead. You exercise self-control, self-discipline, and by practicing hour after hour after hour every single day. You see, fixing our thoughts on Jesus is something we need to do so we know our home, where we're going, but it's not an arduous discipline. It's not like, you know how you're meant to clean your teeth every day? You, you, no one enjoys it, but you're meant to do it. It's not like that kind of that, that discipline. Right? This discipline and fixing our thoughts on Jesus brings joy and pleasure and growth and security. And in particular here, Hebrews wants us to focus on Jesus, who is the faithful one. Now, at this point uh, in our passage, the writer introduces Moses, and he begins to explore a comparison between Jesus, the faithful one, and Moses, the faithful one. And this comparison is going to be developed as we read further into the, the letter, but it's really important, though, and this is what Hebrews keeps on doing, to keep showing us why Jesus is better, why Jesus is the full and the ultimate answer to all of life's questions, all of life's issues. All right, so let's take a look, which is our third point. Jesus is faithful. In verse 2, notice, Moses was faithful in God's house. He was faithful, and then, uh, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. So Ma Moses is faithful in God's house, but Jesus is faithful over God's house. Let me read from verse 3. Just, uh, sorry, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. There's a comparison. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. 
Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. So the text says Moses was in God's house. And it says Jesus is faithful over God's house. Right, Moses had a big role to play in the Old Testament. He built up like a place for, for God's people in, in the desert, think of that, like the tabernacle. But Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses was faithful in, but Jesus is faithful over. So Jesus, he's like unlike the banks that are continually, you know, moving interest rates around to their advantage and, and putting in these little secret fees and hidden surprises. Uh, Jesus is unlike some dodgy builders that you hear about who take shortcuts and they overcharge or they cheat, you know, uh, homeowners. No, the house that God built for Israel through Moses was like a mini version of what God will build through Jesus. Uh, some of us may remember the Harper family who uh, were part of the church here for a number of years and a couple of years ago they, they moved uh, back to New South Wales and they're living near the town of Orange. And if you're friends with the Harpers on, on Facebook, you might have noticed that they've been sharing on Facebook some of their building projects. So when they first got to, to Orange, they, they organised a plot of land and they got uh, council approval uh, to build a temporary residence on a new block of land while they made their final home or their, their ultimate home. So they, had, they built this like temporary, really tiny place to live in while they were building their permanent residence. You see, God through Moses built a, like a, t- a temporary residence for his people through those 40 years of wilderness wanderings. But the house of God is now built through his son. It is greater. It's bigger. It's the permanent thing. And even as we read about this idea of God building a better house, Jesus being faithful over it, I hope and I pray, even now that we're thinking, I want to belong to this. My hopes are to be in a place like this that God promises to be safe with God, to be with God. Well, look at verse 6. In verse 6, the writer unveils the identity of this new house. What does he say in verse 6? Perhaps it's a bit of a surprise. Verse 6. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. We are his house. So God's house, it's not this physical building or any church building that might be dated and rotting and you know, getting maybe a bit too small. The house that Christ is building and the, the house that God owns is us. It's his people. It's the church. God's big investment is about saving people and bringing them home. We are his house. The writer says, if we hold firmly to our confidence and hope. Now, when the writer's talking about our confidence and hope and if we're holding firmly, it's not describing people who are really strong. It's not talking about resilient people. It's not talking about powerful people, but it's about those who are clinging to Jesus. You see, confident faith or confident hope, it's not in the amount of faith I have, but in the object that I'm trusting in. Where is my hope? Our hope and our faith are built in Jesus. The writer is saying, hold firmly to Jesus. 
In other words, don't leave the house. Don't walk out. Don't walk away. Trusting Jesus and being part of God's church go hand in hand. They belong together. Now, I know it's really uh, popular in some circles to say, and, and, and we've, got, we've got friends who say this, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I don't like the church. Or I believe in God, but I, I don't need to be part of a church. Or I'm a Christian, but I'm not really interested in, in, in the church. But friends, that kind of separation is just not found in the Bible. And it doesn't work because God in Christ is saving a people for himself. He is creating a church. He is building a house, and the house is his church. Not one person, but many people. We are God's house. And that means that our true home, while it is still future and heavenly, and it's part of the new creation, the new world, but it is also now. And that's what verse 6 is describing. Belonging to God's church now is an expression of our true home. And that means in part that we're meant to have such a relationship with each other in Jesus that we are safe, that we belong, that we are committed to the good of the other, that we are serving and loving and patient and kind. When we fall short, we repent and we reconcile. Yeah, it's one, and it's one of the reasons why Christians are to join a local church. Visiting, looking around is good, makes sense, but it's not okay to do it forever. Just as it's not okay when in, in church Christians sin against each other and we hurt or we fail each other. But friends, as the blood of Jesus redeems us, we need to keep working at confessing to each other and humbly working it out, not walking out. Now, I'm saying all that because we appreciate and we, and we understand the different caveats for joining, leaving, moving, all those kinds of things, but they're not the point that Hebrews 3 is presenting to us. The point is this. We are God's house if we hold firmly to our confidence and hope that is Jesus. God has called us to a heavenly home. Don't walk away from it. For the, for the people who were first reading this letter, some of them had lost their earthly homes, and not through a bushfire or a storm, but because of persecution. And it's not as though as Hebrews is talking about this home that he's dismissive of or ignorant about people's houses and beds and kitchens and front doors and all that kind of stuff. Um, flip over to chapter 10 for a moment. I'm going to read verses 34 and 35. Chapter 10. 34, 35. We read, picking up verse 34 of chapter 10, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Now, it's very easy to read those verses, to gloss over them. I suspect that they're actually really confronting. And they may well be hard for us to swallow, whether you own your own home or you aspire to owning your own home one day. How can a Christian joyfully accept the confiscation of their house? As the writer says here, though, it can only be because God has promised us something better. 
And it is better by far. Think of all the, the sitcoms and TV shows that we, we love to watch or used to watch, you know, whether it's Friends, Seinfeld, Frasier. Think Home Improvement, Everybody Loves Raymond, The Simpsons, whatever it is. They're all showing um, homes and depicting home life, aren't they? They're all about a place where people or family and friends can gather and we can share and do life together and share all the ups and downs at a place that we can call home. And these TV shows and whichever ones that you enjoy watching, they all sort of tap into that longing that we all have. Whether you're a Christian or not, it taps into that longing. It is a place to belong. Hebrews 3 is wonderfully telling us we have a heavenly calling. Jesus has welcomed us. We are God's house. I wonder, are we, or some of us, too attached to our possessions? Do we need to tighten our affections to Jesus and lose our affections to stuff here? Do we need to fix our thoughts on Jesus and be less fixated with what we might have in the present? Friends, doing this will serve us well. The safe option during that violent storm a couple of weeks ago uh, was to be inside. Um, as the hail was shooting down from the heavens and the, the wind was touring, uh, tearing through the streets and you know, there were massive gum trees being literally torn out of the earth and, and roads under water. Um, as we all know, because some of you, were, in, you, know, you know, were part of the half a million, half a million people in Melbourne lost their electricity. Yeah, and, and there were water coming through the roofs of some people's houses. And still the safest place was, was inside. Not outside, under a gum tree. <laughs> or, on the, or on the roads or in one of Melbourne's trains. You know, being Melbourne, you know, the, the, the trains stop working. Uh, friends, we get to show our friends and family that there is a house, a home that is safe, secure and stunning. It's better than any of those beautiful homes along Beach Road or in Brighton or Turak. And in fact, not only do we get to show our friends, but by example, and this is for whether we own our own uh, physical home or we're renting or we're sharing, whatever our situation may be, we can show by example that our confidence lays in the house God has built. And it is his church. And it's marvelous. There is real freedom in that when you think about it. I'm released from being captive to different styles and cultural moments. There is a real freedom in that now because I know my true home has been paid for by Jesus and it is safe and secure forever. And that's what Mentone Baptist Church is about. We proclaim Jesus Christ in order to gather people for the glory of God. That's what our church vision is about. It is to see more people gathering and becoming safe in, in the Lord Jesus. Get here at Mentone and establishing churches elsewhere in Melbourne. You know, part of our vision that we set uh, a few years ago, just as we were walking into COVID lockdown, not that we knew when we announced and talked about it all, but anyway, that a few years ago, part of our vision that we set then does talk about um, a new church building eventually. 
And that's not for the sake of just having something new or larger, purely for those reasons, but so that we can have a place where more people can join and gather and hear Christ and belong. Fix our thoughts on the Lord Jesus. We don't need some special techniques uh, to do that or joining some monastic order or reading special books. or We don't need to do any of that. But just being convinced of the gospel, we join together to do what the Bible tells us to do. Read our Bibles. Pray to God. And keep meeting regularly. Doing those three things, committing to those things, will serve us well to keep our thoughts fixated on Jesus. Meeting regularly, this Sunday mornings really do matter. Finding time during the week, meeting up with other Christians to encourage them in growth groups one-on-one so we can keep sharpening each other, so that we keep encouraging each other, fix our eyes on Jesus with all what you're going on. The best thing we can do is to fix our thoughts and attention to Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, and he's talking to this huge crowd, he says, your Father in heaven knows what you need. Even now, God the Father knows our every need. The needs that we share, the needs that we articulate, those that we cannot even articulate but are existing. He knows that we need food to eat, clothes to wear, and we can trust him. But in all of that, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Let us fix our thoughts on him. Let's pray. Father, to think that you have called us to a heavenly home because your son bled out on the cross and died in our place. He took away all of our sin and everything that prevents us from our house. And you have welcomed us. Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. Thank you, Father, that we have an eternal home, and that home has a, an earthly expression. It is to be part of your people, your church, a community where we can welcome one another and love and serve each other in Christ. Father, help us to have that perspective when there are so many different uh, needs and urgent uh, demands on our time and our finances and energies and, and our, our desires, help us to keep focusing on Jesus. Help us to appreciate the home that you have called us to. And Father, even when we do disappoint one another, when we hurt each other, please God forgive us, help us to repent, and help us to reconcile. We pray that Mentone Baptist Church will be at that community of brothers and sisters where we love and serve one another and honour the Lord Jesus. We pray that it will continue to be that place that is secure and safe. And we pray that through the way that we live together, that we might show the outsiders 
that there is a better home. And it is a home that all can have through Jesus. So, Father, we pray all these things now in the name of your Son. Amen.